uh, over the road, that way, over Camden Road last Sunday in our neighbouring parish of St George's Tufnell Park, the church hosted a restart party. Anyone was invited to bring along broken electronic or electrical items and the church's team of amateur fixers tried to mend them. St. George's say they will keep track of how much carbon we save by mending the objects rather than putting them in landfill. Some people picture a church as a hospital where people come to find healing. But maybe it's more like a repair shop. If I had to come up with a mission statement for Jesus of Nazareth, it might be something like repairing each other and repairing our world. On weekday mornings, about a dozen of us turn up on Zoom, different people each day, to share some prayers using a different liturgy each day from the Iona community. My favorite line comes up on a Tuesday. In the space of our small hearts and in silence, you can come close and repair us. We call it daily prayer, but for me it's often daily repair. For a few minutes, anything I'm holding on to from the day or the night, the misunderstandings, the fears, the irritants, the anxiety about the world news or the local news, I bring them to this silence where we say to God, you can come close and repair us. We bring the people of Ukraine and of Russia. We bring people fleeing from conflict who find themselves as refugees. We ask God to repair our world and we wonder how we can be part of the repairing ourselves. When my ancient mum comes to stay, we religiously tune in to the repair shop on telly. A bucolic country workshop filled with expert mend and makers where decrepit pieces of family history are returned to their former glory. Like many from my mum's generation, she is an instinctive repairer. Growing up, she used to knit our chairs and reupholster our jumpers. I just put that sentence in there to check you were still listening. <laughs> Fixing and repairing used to be the norm until we entered the age of the disposable. Perhaps slowly, though, we're moving back to it. For example, in economics, we may be moving from assumptions of endless growth to something called the circular economy. In this economy, we take the materials from the earth, we make products from them, and then we chuck them in the bin. The process is linear, and it assumes that our resources, i.e. this planet, are endless. But in the circular economy, it wants to stop waste being produced in the first place. It has three principles. Eliminate waste and pollution, circulate products and materials, regenerate nature. Even though we live inside four seasons and on a planet spinning around the sun, we tend to take a linear view of life. It's how we make sense of time. Time started so far back that we can't see it, and it stretches so far in front of us that thinking about it is like looking out into space. It's just impossible to take in. But we have to make time make sense. For instance, imagine that time is like an ever-extending canvas and it stretches from further than the eye can see over there to way beyond your vision over there. You take a brush and you paint on this canvas. You make some marks. You make a drawing of yourselves here on your birthday. You put a pound sign here, the day in the week or the month when your money arrives. A tree with some lights on Christmas or a football for when the new season starts. 
You're hoping to move flat. You dip the brush in the paint and you mark the canvas. Your child or your grandchild is starting school or getting married. You have exams, a doctor's appointment, you make a mark. And as the canvas fills up, our eyes can focus. They're drawn to different signs and symbols, people and places. The falling dark of winter, the warm light of summer. The canvas of time is alive with shapes and signs, color and texture. They help us negotiate the passage of these days. Without them, time would be oppressive. It would just go on forever and ever and ever with no amen. In this place, the church, we travel inside another time, an ancient calendar marked by feasts and festivals, rhyme and ritual. Again, the brushes in the paint pot. This week, we began a new season. We call it Lent, and it comes in the color purple. Purple signifies penance and sacrifice, and Lent is when we go into the wilderness with Jesus, as in that reading we just heard, and we are tested just as he was. In Lent, we may try and take on something new or give something up. It's a way to remind ourselves that we're alive, that our days race by, that we have choices. Maybe we'll find a sign, a clue to living the life of mercy and compassion. Before you know it, in six weeks, everything in church goes white and then gold, and it's the season of Easter. The liturgical seasons from the Greek word liturgy, which means the work of the people, the work of worship and prayer and doing justice. In these seasons, color is a language that the church uses to indicate the mood of the journey. Lent begins 40 days before Easter, and then 40 days after, we get to Pentecost. And it's as if Jackson Pollock has walked into the church with several pots of paint and chucked them all over the canvas. Scarlet, burgundy, vermilion, ruby, crimson, violet. At Pentecost, the church goes red, remembering how the divine spirit arrived like tongues of fire. And then after that, we're back into ordinary time. We go green. And other festivals pop up their heads now and again. Harvest in September, All Saints in November. And soon the calendar of faith catches up with itself. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter. And these seasons in the calendar of faith remind us that life is not linear. It's not beginning, middle, and end. It's beginning, middle, end, and beginning again. The economy of faith is circular. Jesus knew this. Very truly, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm trying to understand this as I get older. When my friend Adrian died recently, Angela's brother and his cousin, he changed his mind about his funeral during his illness. Instead of being cremated, he realized it was greener to be buried, to go back into the earth, and he was laid into the ground in a country glade surrounded by trees. <clears throat> no gravestones or statues allowed, only a simple wooden plaque, which in time will fade and biodegrade. Each grave will disappear into the glade in time. The surrounding trees will create a living memorial. Nearly 10,000 trees have been planted in that place so far, all indigenous species to the area. Oak, ash, lime, wild cherry, silver birch, holly willow. Earth to earth, we say at a funeral service. On this past Wednesday, as Susie mentioned, there are about 30, 35 of us gathered in a big circle here, and Lizzie, our curate, walked around and marked our foreheads with ash. Remember you are dust, she told us and to dust you will return. They're the words from the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, where God told the first human 
of the days of nights and toil which lay ahead in trying to get food from the ground and then the zinger, you are dust and to dust you will return. The brief and beautiful rotation of the human days. Later the psalmist echoes this, as a mother has compassion for her children, so God has compassion for those who fear her. She knows how we were made. She remembers we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. Maybe if the biblical writers had known what modern science has taught us, we might add a new phrase to the funeral liturgy. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, DNA to DNA. The cyclical nature of life, its changing seasons, is such a powerful metaphor. There are seasons, for instance, in friendships, periods when we are thick as thieves with someone, and then, almost without noticing, we're no longer close. Sometimes we may be again, but maybe not. With every cycle of life, we're changed, made new, the same and different. That's one benefit in coming to church, month after month, year after year. We set ourselves into the cycle of seasons, the cycle of a life, the cycle of nature, the cycle of the earth around the sun. And there are seasons in the life of a community too, like a church. Times you notice how the nights draw in, the weather changes, it starts to rain, you long for summer, and you remind yourself, this is just one more season. There'll be another one soon. The gift of traveling in company inside a faith tradition is its pattern of rhyme and ritual, the rotation of familiar habits, even in a single service like this one, whatever the bad weather in our lives, Maintenance, as U.A. Fanthorpe put it in that poem we heard, is the sensible side of love, which knows what time and weather are doing, which keeps my suspect edifice upright in the air, as Atlas did the sky. The cycle of habits in the calendar of faith are our own maintenance. They're how we repair ourselves and each other. We raise our voices in song. We quieten our minds in silence. We join with each other in prayer. We wonder how long this talk is going to take. We share a sign of peace, wave or bow or bump fists, and we're performing the world that we want to live in. And as the bread and wine has been blessed, we rise from our seats if we're able and we walk forward. We carry all the light and dark in our souls, a slow shuffle towards the bread of life, the cup of salvation, where we raise our hands and open our palms and we tune into the fragile signal that God meets us in our hunger and our thirst. Mostly, we don't even think about our habits. They're so deeply embedded in our weekly ritual, they almost lead us. That's okay. The writer Karen Armstrong puts it like this. Religion is not about accepting 20 impossible propositions before breakfast. It's about doing things that change you. It is a moral aesthetic an ethical alchemy. If you behave in a certain way, you will be transformed. And all of these rituals in all of these seasons contribute to the kind of people that we want to be, habits that inform how we live without us almost noticing, a mantra where the meaning is in the repetition. Rabbi Chaim Stern put it like this, ritual is poetry in action. Exactly, Rabbi. Ritual is poetry in action. 
the cycle of seasons in the calendar of faith, in the days of our week, in the years of these lives, the steady rhythm and rhyme through all the love and all the loss, repairing each other, repairing our world, the circular economy of faith, poetry in action. Amen.